This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Hey, good morning. It's good to see you. My name is Chris. I'm the pastor here at Christian Chapel. And if it's your first time or maybe first time in a while, we are thrilled that you're here with us today. You're joining us as we're wrapping up a series of messages uh, that we've kind of preached our way through over the summer called Inheritance, Stories That Shape Us. And so this summer we've looked at some of the big characters in the Old Testament. And what we've looked at is how they are not just examples for us or role models for us to try to be like, but they are actually our spiritual ancestors. When we come into relationship with Jesus, we come into his family. And as members of his family, we inherit the the spiritual DNA of those who've gone before us. And so these men and women, when we read their stories, what we hear are um, echoes of our stories in theirs. And as we're living our lives, we hear echoes of their stories in ours. And so each week we've kind of grabbed one of these, looked at a a portion of their life and, and tried to see what it means for us today and how the Spirit comes and enables us to live in this way. Today we're going to look at Nehemiah and the inheritance of a problem solver. So how many of you would say you are a problem solver? Just naturally, yeah, problem solvers are never shy about letting people know. Like, yep, that's me. What do you got? I'll fix it. I'm your guy. I'm ready. Now, I am a, I'm a problem solver. Um, but you know, I don't know if you're aware, there are variations of problem solvers. And at, some of you, you might think you're at the top of the pile, but I would like to introduce you to someone who is on top of all of you when it comes to problem solving. That is my wife, Angie. She is the number one problem solver I've ever met. It's one of the things I love about her. Um, it's also something that I've learned over our years of marriage of, I don't tell Angie about a problem unless I want her help with it. Because some of you, like me, I ha- I'm a problem solver, but I also have a big bucket in my mind called not my problem. And there's a whole lot of things that get put in there, right? All the time, things get put in there. Hey, what about this? Yeah, not my problem. Good luck to somebody. Uh, you know, but but if, you're, if you're true, if you're a problem solver like Angie, you don't have that bucket. There are times I'll tell her, like, babe, I just wish for one day you knew what it was like to live in my world, where you saw something and thought, oh, that's too bad, and you just went on with your day, (laughs) right? Because some of us, we have that ability. Others of us, we don't. But here's the thing. What I want you to understand this morning is whether you're like Angie or you're like me, or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum and and you're a problem avoider. Like, you, you look for every opportunity to minimize, deny, or distract yourself from problems, Wherever we are, we all have to admit we have problems, and your inheritance as a follower of Christ is you are a problem solver, whether you want to be or not, which is good news because maybe only, maybe I think maybe 20% of us said we're problem solvers. If we did the, the other side of the survey, how many of you have problems? It'd be 100% of us, right? You don't have to raise your hand because I know some of you, you're sitting by your problem. You might, have, you might have drove your problem to church this morning, right? You might go home to live in your problem. You go back to your problem. Some of you, you're raising your problems. Uh, you're just, you're trying to figure it out for our students. It's back to school week. You're about to go back to your problems. We, we remember all of those feelings, but the good news for us this morning is God sees you and he sees every single problem you have, and he has a plan to solve every problem that you face and every problem that you encounter. And this is what Nehemiah's story teaches us. 
No problem too big, no problem too complex, no opposition too great that God cannot achieve his purposes through us. So we're going to kind of read our way through Nehemiah's story. We're going to hit some of the big highlights, and we're going to see what the inheritance of a problem solver looks like. So we'll start in Nehemiah chapter 1. If you have a Bible, you can follow along with me. If not, it'll be on the screen for you. Nehemiah 1 verse 1, it says, In the month of Kislev in the 20th year, when I was in the citadel of Susa, Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Now, the first thing we learn from Nehemiah is problem solvers expect problems. So let's do just a, a little bit of background. Nehemiah lives in a period of exile. What that means is Nehemiah's ancestors had not lived according to the patterns and the path that God had laid out for them. Through their willful and continued disobedience, God allowed Judah to be turned over to a foreign power. The Babylonians came in, they conquered the people of Judah, they tore down Jerusalem, they took the best and the brightest out of Judah and Jerusalem, they hauled them off to Babylon, and they made them subjects and part of their kingdom. Nehemiah has risen to a position of influence within the empire, and he's living as an exile in a foreign land. Now, the Babylonians, they, they rule over Judah, and eventually the Babylonians are defeated by the Persians, and Nehemiah is now a servant to the king of Persia. He serves as the cupbearer, which means he's kind of in a position of responsibility, and, and we'll come back to that later. But from the beginning, what we need to understand is problem solvers expect problems. If you want to have the inheritance of a problem solver, then you've got to lay down the false expectation that because I follow Jesus, I'll never have another problem again. Nehemiah experiences problems that weren't his own creation. And some of us, we might be in the same position. He has problems that come from his ancestors. Their disobedience resulted in him living outside of the promised land. For you and I, if you look back at the history of your family, you might recognize some problems that you've inherited. There might be patterns of dysfunction. There might be a, a history of divorce. There might be cycles of addiction. There might be all kinds of problems and headaches and sin that have infiltrated into your family, maybe for generation after generation. And at one point in your life or at many points in your life, you wake up to this realization of my life is really hard because of some stuff that was given to me by those who've gone before me. In that space, you can expect, hey, that, that's fine. We have an inheritance from Christ. We also have this inheritance of sin that we're battling and we're fighting against. But it's not just a family inheritance. We also have a cultural inheritance. Some of the problems we face are because we live in a world that has been thoroughly corrupted by sin. And so there are systems and structures. There are thoughts. There are beliefs. There are actions. There are just so many things that have been adopted and accepted in our culture, in our nation, in nations all over the world that are at odds with God's kingdom. And because of that, those things create problems. And we face them and we encounter them. And when we face them, we have to come to this point of just recognizing, hey, you know what? Problems are part of life. For some of us, the, the reason that we never really get much progress in our problem solving is because we spend all our times being mad that we have problems. I, I, I don't know. You probably have some kind of physical tell, I would imagine, when you have problems. Right? If you're a teenage girl, you roll your eyes. 
Like they just go all the way back in your head. We wonder if they'll ever come back again. Right? If you're, maybe, maybe some of you, you're like me, you're a heavy sire. Like Angie, she can tell if something's bothering me by the number of sighs at the dinner table. And if it's just the, <sighs> right, over and over again, she'll be like, you've taken four bites inside seven times. What happened today? And you just have this, but, but what is it? Whatever it is, it can be your anger. It can be your frustration. It can be a shortness that you express with others. At its core, you're mad that you have to deal with something. You're frustrated. You're angry that you have to deal with your own problems. And you're really mad that you have to deal with other people's problems. Because if they would all straighten out, your life would be a whole lot better as well, right? And yet, what Nehemiah models for us is a willingness to enter into problems. Nehemiah lives in exile. It means he knows the situation in Jerusalem is probably not good. And yet when his brother comes back from Jerusalem, Nehemiah goes out of his way to get an accurate report on the current situation and say, hey, what's going on there? Now, in doing so, what Nehemiah is modeling for us is an attitude that Jesus will later show us in perfection of a willingness to move towards the mess. When you expect problems, it means you're not scared to walk towards them to decide, hey, I'll enter into that space. And so for Nehemiah, he does that. He gets this report, and then he shows us that that we're not going to live in fear of problems. In fact, when we face problems, we're going to walk boldly toward them and into them. We see his response to their news in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. It says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah is crushed by the report of Jerusalem, and yet his response shows us problem solvers are willing to own their problems. It says when he hears the report, he doesn't go back to work and try to forget what he's been told. He doesn't go to to be entertained and try to distract himself away from it. But instead, Nehemiah sits and he is fully present in the pain of that moment and the pain of that problem. He owns it. He's willing to enter into the darkness of it because he knows that God is going to be there. He's okay to mourn because he understands that God draws near the brokenhearted. He's willing to fast because he understands this is personal and powerful and there is some form of breakthrough that needs to be experienced. Nehemiah's example is a good model for us of when we're facing problems, before we can work to solve it, we have to admit we have it. And and there are are some elements, sometimes even in the church, and and you might have heard this taught at times of when stuff is bad, don't talk about it. If you're sick, don't say it because you're giving that sickness power in your life. If your marriage is broken, don't tell anyone because then you're giving the the enemy a foothold. And, And can I just tell you this morning, There's no place in scripture where we're taught to avoid our problems, to minimize them, to lie about them, or to turn away from them. We are taught over and over and over again to enter into our pain, to bring all of our needs, all of our requests, all of our problems to the Lord. And so when when you don't talk about your problems, you think you're denying it of power, but by denying it, you're actually giving it more power in your life. You're giving it more authority over you. When you hide from it, you're getting further and further away from confronting it and seeing what God wants to do in it. And so if you want to be a problem solver, it means you have to get comfortable owning your problems. It means if your marriage is broken, you admit my marriage is broken. It means if you are having health issues, you call them for what they are. It means if you're broke, you say you're broke. 
It means if you've got problems, you willingly name them. You sit in the pain. You don't deny it. You don't try to cover it up. You don't try to distract yourself away from it. Problem solvers always own their problems because they recognize I can sit in the darkness and the Lord will meet me there. I can come to him in my mourning and in my tears and he's going to draw near to me and lead me onto a path of life. And once you begin to own those problems, you continue to follow the path of Nehemiah. The next thing we see is that problem solvers pray. Eleven times in the book of Nehemiah, we're told that Nehemiah prays. When he gets a report about Jerusalem, he prays. When he speaks to the king about his request, he prays. When he arrives and faces opposition, he prays. Over and over and over again, in every season, in every situation, every moment along the way. Because Nehemiah discovers what you and I discover, that one problem usually has other problems associated with it. And as he tackles one, he discovers others. But every step along the way, Nehemiah stops and prays. Now, now for the, the problem solvers in the room, this is perhaps the most important thing that you'll hear this morning. Before you act, pray. Right? Before you start your strategizing, before you start recruiting, before you start solving, before you start improving efficiencies, stop and pray. And, and in fact, we should probably word that differently. It's not before you act, pray. It's prayer is your first action. Right? It's not, prayer isn't something you do and then you go do the real things. Prayer is the first response that you have when you recognize you're facing a problem that you can't solve on your own. And when you come to the Lord in prayer, you come to hear from him. You come to be led and guided by him. When we pray, we ensure that our problem-solving activities are being accomplished in God's way, in God's time, and according to God's means. Because the last thing we want to do is try to solve this problem on our own and in our own abilities and unknowingly create dozens of other problems that we got to come and clean up later. Stop and pray. And when you pray, God leads and God directs. When you pray, God begins to assure you that he sees this problem, he knows this problem, and he has a plan to get you out of it and over it. And then once he begins to reveal that to you in prayer, your next step is you begin to plan. Nehemiah shows us this as he continues, verse, chapter 2, verse 4, it says, The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Now, Nehemiah, he prays and then he begins to plan. Nehemiah is the, the king's cupbearer. He's a, a trusted servant to him. And, and not, you know, so when we think of cupbearer, maybe you think, oh, he's like the king's waiter. It's, it's not that. It's the, the cupbearer, Nehemiah's job was to make sure nobody poisoned the king that they didn't poison his food, that they didn't poison the things that he drank. And so Nehemiah was there. He was with him all the time. His position was more like the, the head of security for the king. It's a very powerful, it's a very influential, very important position. And so what, what we believe happens is when Nehemiah recognizes the problem in Jerusalem and he owns that problem as his own and he begins to pray and begins to fast and begins to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What part do I have to play in this? It seems likely that in those prayers, God reminded Nehemiah, you're in the king's presence numerous times a day. And so Nehemiah, I'm going to arrange the time and I'm going to arrange the situation and you're going to have an opportunity to speak. And Nehemiah, from what we see in this initial interaction with the king, it seems as if he has spent some time planning 
what he's going to say. And so if we're going to be problem solvers, we've got to embrace the idea that we're going to be planners. Now, now again, there, there are so many points in the sermon where I know it, it hits people in wildly different ways. Because there are some of us this morning that you're like, planning? Yes. Love it. No, nothing I love more than to make a list and check things off of it. Right? Nothing I love more than strategic thinking. We can have a whiteboard meeting all day, every day. That's all I want to do. You just want to you plan, and you want to plan, you want to plan. And then some others of you, you're like, planning, I tend to live under grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit. I just, I believe he leads and he guides, and, you know, that's how I study, and that's how I work, and he just, he just tells me what to do. And, and the idea of planning feels constricting. It feels kind of gross, borderline sinful, maybe even to you. And really all that is, it's, that's just, that's our personality. But here's what I want you to understand, regardless of where you fall, like the ultra planner or the ultra not planner, if you have problems and you begin to pray about them, God is going to reveal a plan. And that plan is going to require some thoughtful engagement on your part. God is not a just fly by the seat of your pants and see what happens kind of God. He is a, hey, let's, let's, let's go, let's move. And so, so Nehemiah, when he starts, he begins his plan. And his plan is guided by his long-term objective. His objective is to be part of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And then he backs that all the way up and he begins to pray, Lord, how do you want me to proceed? I believe that goal is from you. How do you want me to proceed? And God directs him. You're going to be in the king's presence. And then as we read Nehemiah's story, we see his plan coming to shape. He asks the king for a couple things. First, he says, well, king, my, my hometown is in ruins. The king says, what do you want? He says, I, I want to rebuild it. Well, what does that take? Well, I need security to get there. I need supplies when I arrive, and I need letters to have permission to rebuild it when I get on site. The king says, that's great. You can have all of that. Get going. Right? And so again, it's just a, a model for us of when we're facing problems, whether they are big or small, we own them, we pray about them, and then God begins to reveal a plan to us. Now, if, if, if you're a, the ultra planner, one of your challenges is you have the end goal and God might give you the first couple steps, but you don't want to move till you have all the other steps in between. You want to have it absolutely perfected. But what we see from Nehemiah is he has enough information, he has enough of a plan to start working. And so he just begins to move forward. He packs up, he heads back to Jerusalem. When he arrives in Jerusalem, he doesn't immediately start building the wall. But instead, under the cover of darkness, before anybody knows what he's doing, he spends night after night riding the entire length of the wall all around Jerusalem so that he knows exactly what he's getting himself into. And you got to believe as he's riding, he's continuing to pray. He's continuing to ask the Lord to deliver, to reveal, to show him, to provide all of the things he's going to need to accomplish this great task that God has laid out for him. And for you and I, as we begin to ask God, Lord, I, I see these problems. I own these problems. You're coming to him, asking for his help, asking for his intervention. He will speak. And he will begin to reveal his plan. And almost always, you will have a long-term goal of this is where I want to be. And it might be, we're going to have the healthy marriage. This is the job I want to have. This is the degree I want to earn. This is the health I want to experience in my body. This is the financial freedom that we want to walk in. Whatever it might be, you have that long-term goal. And then God is going to start to show you, here are some short-term steps you can take to start going down that path. And, and again, these aren't just the things that you naturally come up with on your own. They're not just your best effort, but these are God-designed and God-ordained steps for you to take. 
And as you begin to develop that plan, as you get that plan, you have to at some point have enough faith to just start walking it out. You might not know all the in-between steps. You might only know the first two or three, but you know enough to get moving. And when you get moving, the next thing you see in Nehemiah's story is that it always involves going to work. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17, Nehemiah shows up in Jerusalem. He gathers the men and women who are going to help him. In verse 17, he says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Nehemiah identified the problem. He felt passionate about being part of God's response. He prayed for it, for it. But then he got to the point where now he had to go to work. The walls of Jerusalem were not going to be rebuilt without the blood, sweat, and tears of the men and women of Jerusalem. If Nehemiah was going to accomplish what God was calling him to accomplish, it meant he was probably going to go to bed at night with a sore back. It meant his hands were going to blister and they were going to callous. It meant that he was committing to be outdoors through whatever the weather brought him until the job was completed. It meant that he wasn't just going to work on his own, but he was going to have to go to work recruiting others to join him because the work was too big for him. Right, so, so what is Nehemiah committing to? Nehemiah is committing to a path of work that's going to leave him physically exhausted from the manual labor he engages in, but is also going to tax him mentally, emotionally, and spiritually as he takes on the weight of management and leadership to lead others in that process. If you're going to be a problem solver, you're going to pray, you're going to plan, and then you're going to have to go to work. And it's going to be hard work. When you are part of God's kingdom, pushing back against the forces of darkness, walking into spaces that have been ruined by sin, it's not going to be easy sailing. It's not going to be a world where just everything works the first time and everyone stands around and celebrates what a wonderful person you are. But there are going to be long nights and days. There's going to be hard physical labor. There are going to be seasons that are emotionally, spiritually, and relationally taxing. When you engage engage in solving problems, it's hard work. But that doesn't mean you stop. It doesn't mean you quit. It doesn't mean you shy away. Because the same God who directed you on that path is now the same God who's going to empower your actions as you begin to work. Right? As you pick up whatever the tools are, you're going to work and you're going to work hard. And that, that's the point where maybe some of us stop being problem solvers. Because we, we like the idea of, man, we get passionate about a project. We feel like God gives us some, some direction and we begin to plan for that project. Maybe we take those first couple steps, but somewhere the work transitions from fun to hard, from life-giving to difficult. And in that space, if you just persevere in your own effort, you're going to wear yourselves out. But if you will stop and surrender again to the power and the presence of the Lord, he's going to come strengthen your mind, strengthen your body, and enable you to push forward. But don't be surprised when the work gets hard. Right? We see this, one of the, the primary ways that I, I see this at Christian Chapel is when couples become foster parents. Right? What, what happens in that process of foster care? Well, somewhere along the way, you encountered the problems of the world. 
and you recognize that there are boys and there are girls in Tulsa who are suffering because of the sins of others, who are suffering because of the sins of our culture. And there was something, you read the news story, you went to the training, and there was something deep in your heart that resonated, and you said, I have to be a part of that. You owned it, and as you owned it, you began to pray about it, and you're saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And maybe it started by serving at Royal Family Kids Camp, or in Royal Family Club, or in other, some other foster care capacity, kind of as a support person. And, but you kept praying, and God kept helping you plan, and you started to realize this is something he's calling us into. This is something he wants us to do. But if you talk to every single foster parent, what they'll tell you is with that first placement comes the hard work. And with every placement after that comes hard work because you're encountering the real difficulties of the world. You're pushing up against the effects of sin. You're pushing back against the forces of darkness. And oftentimes the darkness pushes back. And this is what Nehemiah experiences. He shows up in Jerusalem. It seems like everything is going well. He has all the supplies he needs. He has the security that the king has provided. He has the permission. Other people are buying in. The wall is starting to go up. And in the middle of all of his hard work and effort, he starts to experience some opposition. If you skip over to Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 7, it says, But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead, and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard night and day to meet this threat. Now, again, it's, it's just a reality that we know, and yet I think we have to personalize, we have to experience that problem solvers persevere. Because here's how we want our problem solving to work. We want to expect the problem, that's fine. We'll own the problem, that's okay. We'll pray about it. God will reveal a plan. We'll start to work the plan, and we want the plan to work. And we would really prefer if everybody else stayed out of our way and didn't create any more problems while we're solving it. And have you ever had the experience in life where you're just all in in one area trying to do what God has called you to do, and maybe it's something at work, and you're putting all your time and all your energy into it, and then here comes this health attack you weren't asking for? Here comes this relationship drama that you weren't looking for. Here comes some other family issues. Here comes some financial pressure. And in that space, the temptation is to think, well, I can't do this anymore because I've got to give my attention over here. And so we want to stop and we give up. And, and how many of our problems do we stop on when they're 75 or 80 or 90% solved? How many times at the first hints of opposition, at the first moments of somebody pushing back against us, do we just decide it's not worth the effort, it's not worth the energy? That could have been Nehemiah's response. He gets there, he's building the wall, everything is going well, and then the leaders start to rise up against him. They do everything they can. If we had time, I'd encourage you to, to read through Nehemiah's story. You can see all the different ways that they tried to distract him, that they tried to discourage him, that they tried to threaten him over and over and over again, telling him this won't work, it can't work, it shouldn't work. And yet what does Nehemiah do? He just perseveres. I love the, the phrasing of that passage. It says, they to threaten the people of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah's response was, so once again we prayed, and then we posted a guard, and we continued to work. What does he do? When, when you begin that problem-solving process, and you own the, own the problem, you, you pray about it, you plan for it, you work it, and then you encounter difficulty, you just circle back, and you do all the same things again. You own the problem, you pray about it, you plan for it, and you work it. And so Nehemiah, he faces opposition, and his response is, well, let's stop and pray. 
And they stopped and they prayed. And he felt like the Lord said, there's a threat out there. You should post a guard night and day. So Nehemiah said, let's post a guard night and day and get to work. And they just kept pushing forward. For you and I, it's just a a wonderful reminder to us of when you face opposition, it's not a sign that you should quit. Often it's a sign that you're almost there. That when you begin to invade the spaces where the enemy has claimed a kingdom, where the enemy has claimed a life, where he has put a foothold in your heart, as you begin to get to the verge of freedom, it's when he normally will come with the most opposition to try to discourage you because he knows he's just on the verge of losing. So my encouragement to you is when you know you're engaged in a problem-solving process that the Lord has directed and that the Lord is empowering, do not quit until it's won. Don't stop just a few yards short of the finish line. Don't give in when you're about to know the victory that you've been longing and praying and planning and working towards. And so Nehemiah, it's not that he discounts the threat. He fully engages with it and just says, that's fine. You want to come at us? We'll just post a guard, but we're also going to keep working. They never stop building the wall. And so what you can trust is you can trust the Lord to provide for you, to direct you, to lead you, to guide you, where you can handle any of the threats and any of the distractions, and you won't lose ground in the spaces where he's calling you to work. And it's going to be spaces where you know, I'm, I'm not this gifted of a multitasker. I could never come up with this on my own. I don't have the spiritual strength. I don't have the, the intellectual prowess. I don't have the physical ability, but I know God has called me to do this. I see the obstacles in front of me. So I'm going to trust he's going to provide here and he's going to provide there. And that's exactly what he does for Nehemiah. To the point where some of the men decide, hey, if we have to work with a sword in one hand and a hammer in the other, that's how we're going to build this wall. But we will not be stopped, we will not be distracted, and we will not be discouraged. And they continue to persevere. In Nehemiah chapter 6, we see the results of their effort. It says, so the wall was completed on the 25th in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, All the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Now, now I know this this message is just super simple, but my prayer is it's as helpful for you as it it has been for me to understand you're always going to have problems. You are always going to have problems, right? When you go home today and somebody says, hey, how was church? You can be like, I learned I will always have problems. You know, and depending on who you're talking to, they might tell you, like, you should find a new church. Uh, but but the, here's the thing. We didn't stop there. You will always have problems, but God's always going to have a plan for every one of your problems. He has a plan to bring his victory, to bring his power, to bring his deliverance, to bring his healing, to bring his restoration, to bring his provision, to bring whatever you need to accomplish his purposes in your life in that problem situation. And when you pray and you plan and you work by the power of his spirit working inside of you and you persevere through difficulty, you will experience the fulfillment of God's promises. For Nehemiah, it was very practical. The wall went up in 52 days. And when the wall went up, what Nehemiah experienced was something he maybe hadn't anticipated. 
His view was probably the wall is going up and it's good for the people of Jerusalem. It's good for the people of Judah. But when the wall was completed, it was also a resounding message to everyone in that area of this has happened at the hand of the Lord. And the people in that city live and work by the hand of the Lord. And the result was the enemies of Nehemiah and the enemies of Jerusalem lost their confidence because they recognized they were fighting against someone greater than them. And so the the last thing we want to understand is problem solvers, when our problems are solved, we celebrate. We take time to acknowledge what God has done. We take time to celebrate his goodness and his power and his provision. And we begin to understand that when God solves problems in our lives, it's for our good, and that's, that's wonderful, and that's worthy of our worship and our praise and, and our expressions of thankfulness to him. But when God solves our problems, it's not only for our good, it's also for his glory. When the wall goes up, the primary admiration is not for Nehemiah's leadership skill or the wall-building skills of the men of Jerusalem. The primary point of admiration in the surrounding area is that clearly this happened at the hand of God. And so Nehemiah celebrates. When you experience the the blessing of God, when he solves problems in your life, you should never feel guilty celebrating those with others. You should be willing to tell them, here's where I was, here's what God said, and here's how God provided. And and I understand sometimes you're, you're hesitant to do that because you don't want to come off You're bragging about how great your life is. You don't want to come off like you've never struggled like someone else does. I mean, I I faced this uh, the last couple years as as not just we as a church, but as a world, as we've went through COVID, I've had a lot of meetings with other pastors. And so in those meetings, I don't think I've had a single one where the topic of COVID doesn't come up. And it has not been a a universal experience. Like I've got buddies who pastor churches that are half the size they were before COVID. I've got buddies of churches that that people, 25% of them on this side and 25% of them on this side, all told him he was the Antichrist and they all left, right? I've got buddies where, where, where giving is at historically low levels and staff are being laid off left and right. Buddies where, where they've had staff members who didn't agree with the decisions they made and they, they caused problems and they left the churches. Problem after problem, churches where there's been tremendous loss and death and all of these things. And, and when I sit in some of those spaces, and they start to tell me about the problems they're facing. And then they look at me and they're like, how's it going for you? And honestly, I feel bad because our story of COVID at Christian Chapel has been, you know what, like we've suffered loss, but really God's been pretty faithful. Uh, the, the, church, the church grew, finances are strong. We added staff and I like them. Um, I mean, some people left, but more people came. People were, people were being introduced to Jesus. Ministries are growing. Ministries are thriving. And there's a, there's a temptation, though, in that moment for me to, to not celebrate the problem-solving ability of God that we've experienced because their experience hasn't been the same as mine. And I, I'll be honest, I've given into the temptation a couple times where I haven't told him any of that. And instead, I've found like one problem in my life and I've blown it way out of proportion. So, oh yeah, that, well, I've got this ingrown toenail and it is just the worst. I just can't walk. You know, like you just, you try to find something. Why? Because you're trying to sympathize and, and, and I get where that comes from. But can we all please understand that, that when we live in a world full of problems, 
more than our commiseration, sometimes the world needs our celebration. Hey, let me, let me tell you, I hear you and I mourn with you and I feel that with you. Let me tell you what the Lord did for me in a similar situation. Let me tell you how as I owned it and I begin to pray, God began to reveal and direct. And as we begin to work that plan he gave to us, we faced some opposition, but Jesus was faithful, the spirit directed and God provided. And let me tell you the story, right? If you have a story of God solving problems in your marriage and you go to lunch with someone who's telling you their marriage is falling apart, It's not the time for you to say, well, my husband still does some annoying things too. It's the time for you to say, let me tell you what God has done for us. Let me tell you how I was where you are at and how I prayed and God showed a plan and we worked the plan and now we're living in a type of relationship that we've never known before. If you've got friends whose kids are are way off the wagon, far away from the Lord, and you go to lunch with them, you don't have to be shy about telling them that your child is walking with Jesus. And here's the prayers that you pray. And here's the things that God has revealed. We never have to apologize for celebrating the problem-solving skills of God. Because it's not a story of, hey, look at me and what I've done, aren't I smart? It's a story of like, I had some stuff I couldn't handle. And when I brought it to the Lord, he showed me a path. And as I walked that path, I faced some opposition. But every step along the way, I owned it, I prayed about it, God revealed his plan, we worked the plan by his spirit at work in us, and he accomplished what only he could accomplish. And what you'll find is you have reasons to celebrate right now, but there are also reasons to celebrate that you'll never understand. When Nehemiah rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem, he thinks it's a gift primarily for right then and right now. What he, what he would have also known was rebuilding the walls of, the, of Jerusalem was a fulfillment of a prophecy that God had given to Jeremiah decades before that that they would return to Jerusalem, that the temple would be rebuilt, that the walls would be restored, that Jerusalem would one day again become the place where God's glory dwells. And if Nehemiah had had the opportunity, he could have looked far into the future. And he would have seen that the walls of Jerusalem he built became the source of security for Jerusalem to once again become a thriving city. And those walls would one day become the walls in which Jesus walked. They would become the walls in which God became man and made his dwelling among us. They would become the walls in which Jesus was crucified, died, was buried, and rose again. That in Jerusalem and the surrounding area, the world would be different because of the arrival of Jesus. Nehemiah didn't know any of that. All he knew was his job was to build a wall. And for you and I, when we engage in problem solving by the power of the Spirit at work in us, we are part of seeing God's grace and goodness right here and right now. But often, God is using our willingness to enter into the problems of the world to set the stage for things that are going to happen long after we're gone. Right? You want to solve that problem in your marriage? You might be the first family in your, the first generation in your family that begins to reverse the cycle of, of divorce that's plagued you for so long. You want to begin to pray for that child and call God back to them? You don't know what he's going to do generations after you're gone. When you engage in problem solving, you get to experience the goodness, but the goodness of God is never contained in you or your situation. It always flows up and out out into the world around you. So as you look at the problems you face, as you consider if you should engage with them or not, my encouragement to you today is to own it and start praying about it. And as you do, God's going to reveal a plan. 
you're going to work that plan and he's going to achieve his purposes no matter how much opposition you face. And when he does, you can celebrate both the good things you see and know are the result of it. And you can also celebrate all the ripples in the future that you will never experience, but you know will continue to go by the power of his spirit working through others who've been changed by the power and presence of God at work in you. Will you stand with me? I want to pray for us this morning. The band's going to come back and lead us in a final song. We bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, we come to you today and we are thankful that you are a problem-solving God. Lord, we're grateful that you see every situation we are facing, every problem we're encountering, everything that's trying to weigh us down and hold us back. Lord, I pray today, first of all, for those who their, their biggest problem this morning is they do not have a relationship with you. They've never asked you to forgive them of their sins. They have never entered into a relationship where they know they are your sons and your daughters. Jesus, today we ask that you would come and begin to draw them to yourself. Holy Spirit, that as you convict of sin, you would reveal Jesus as their source of salvation, as the one who can save, deliver, and lead them into new life. And Lord, I pray for the rest of us who, who we have made that decision to follow you, and yet we still face the problems of the world. We have problems in our relationships, in our finances, in our health, problems at work and at school, problems that we can name and problems that we can't quite put our finger on. And Lord, this morning we ask that you would come into each of those spaces in each of our hearts and you would give us the ability to own that pain and to own those problems. And Lord, as we do, we turn to you and we begin to ask that you would reveal your, would reveal your path, you would reveal the plan that you have for us. Lord, we believe that you have plans today to restore broken marriages, that you have plans to provide areas of financial need, that you have plans to release healing, that you have plans to break the chains of addiction, that you have plans, Lord, to reverse generations of dysfunction and trauma in our families. And so, Lord, we come to you today and we name the problems we know and we believe your power and your presence are at work. So Lord, will you come in this space and remind us that we have the inheritance of problem solvers, that your power and your presence works in us and through us to achieve your purposes in every area of our life. And there's nothing we have to hide or deny, no conversation we have to run away from because you have a plan for all of it and you will reveal that to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.